Hello everybody and welcome back to Draco's Den. We're on our second episode and this week the topic of discussion is single life in 2020. We're going to cover, you know, the idea of being single, things single people go through, being a single parent, and trying to date in this day and age. Definitely wanted to do something a little bit different, but don't worry if you're more concerned with my writing. I'll work bits and pieces of that in here too. So, Let's go ahead and get into the topic today. So I know some of you may wonder, what made me choose this particular topic? Well, I thought back on, you know, talking with people when I'm, you know, first meet them, like at work or whatever, and as we get to know each other and become workplace friends, I remember a particular friend, I'm not going to give her name, that has been in a relationship for like nine or ten years. I have been single for almost five years now, and... When she would listen to my stories of the things that I was dealing with, uh, in some cases, she would kind of assume that the grass was greener on the other side, just because I had the freedom at the time to do certain things. And I realized that maybe some people like her have hit a point in the relationship where they get a little bit bored and they think, oh, well, maybe I want to get back out there again. And it's not really a case of their spouse has done anything wrong or that they're necessarily unhappy. In her case, she was literally just bored. You know, all she did was work, come home, take care of the kids. And for some reason, she thought it would be more appealing to be on the single life side. So I kind of feel the need when I come into this situation to dispel that delusion You know, I feel like if you've got somebody that's not cheating on you, that's been faithful, that's not doing anything to make you actively unhappy, you should probably stay where you are instead of assuming that, you know, the single people that you know have this uber exciting life because most of us would rather have what you have than what we have. So I'm going to go into a little bit of what, you know, it's like being single in this day and age and to be fair, some of these things really aren't necessarily new. It's not like it's exclusive to this year or last year or even the year before that. Like these have been going on for a little while. Also keep in mind, my escapades can sometimes sound a little bit more exciting to um, a heterosexual woman because I am bisexual and have dealt more so with men in the last several years. So it sounds exciting until you realize it's unnecessary drama. So Let's get into this a little bit. You know, people don't understand sometimes that dating nowadays is a lot different than what it might have been, especially if they've been in a relationship for a long period of time. You know, it's especially in the gay community. We don't really do the whole, you know, meet somebody out thing. Um, Dating really isn't exactly dating anymore. I can't remember the last time I actually went out on an actual date. And by an actual date, I mean going out somewhere, meeting for dinner, movies, whatever else you constitute as a date. Nowadays, the closest thing you get to a date is getting invited to their house. And, you know, the good old Netflix and chill. You might even get a meal out of it, but for some reason, that's what constitutes dating in this day and age. And it's really not what people think it is, you know, especially if you are at a point where you would legitimately like to find something serious that doesn't seem to really be a thing in this day and age. 
So let's start with the obvious. A lot of, you know, dating or whatnot is set up through dating apps. You know, you have the Tinders, the, I don't know, whatever eHarmony is, is that an app or a website, whatever you have for on the gay side, you have Grindr, Jax, Cruft, Adam for Adam, and several other ones that I've probably forgotten and don't necessarily frequent, but most of our stuff is set up through apps now. That's how a lot of us tend to meet people. Now, I hear stories on the radio with the heteros that actually get something more resembling dates. It's just not my personal experience. So with the advent of meeting people on these apps, you open yourself up to a whole bunch of fuckery. That's the best way to put it. Utter, complete fuckery. Ladies and gay men can testify to this a a little bit better, I guess. So, conversation. Art of conversation is kind of lost. And I find some really annoying habits that have gone on for years and show no signs of changing, no matter which app I'm on. And even if someone approaches me just on regular social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, because I've had a few... The conversations always kind of start off and they get very annoying. So the most common opening that I personally get in in conversations is anything like, what are you on? What are you doing? What's good? Or they just open with an unsolicited dick pic or in the gay community, sometimes an ass pic. Pics that I didn't really want. Pics that are stated on my profile that I'd rather you not send me because I really don't want to see that. It kind of kills the mystery for me. And then they expect you to just kind of either, sometimes they expect you to actually have a conversation after you've opened with a dick pic. In a lot of these cases, I can't even see their face, but I've now seen that part of your anatomy. And I lose interest really, really fast because what happened to, hey, hi, how you doing? Um, What are you, occasionally you get the, what are you looking for? But when that's stated in your profile, it kind of gets annoying. And then let's focus on, on the, the, the dick pic thing, too. That's the most annoying thing in the world. And the main guys that send it unsolicited are the ones that uh, don't have much to work with anyway. And I'm going to teach you a little trick that I've discovered that do Jews. And it's very amusing sometimes. They take the picture of it real close up, and they hold the base of it with one hand to hold it up. And it might be on hard. That's whatever. But in most cases, it is on hard when they do it this way. So it's on hard. They hold it at the base, and they take the picture up real, real close. And if you're an untrained eye, you might think, oh, well, that's at least a decent size. No, no, it's, it's really not. They got like four inches. And these are the ones that always just automatically send it just right off the bat like don't say hi or they might have said hi and immediately sent that right afterwards and it's like both on the straight male side the gay male side the bi male side the dl side whichever side you fall on none of them have realized that generally speaking an unsolicited dick pic does not really get you what you want like it's it's no self-respecting female or gay male is going to be like ooh. That's a wonderful penis. Let me talk to this person. Let me go meet them. Let me, you know, get invested in them. That doesn't really catch most people's interest, but it's what we get. 
and it's like the bane of my existence in the dating world. Just so many unsolicited pics that I always delete. I don't want to save them. I don't want them in general. I didn't ask for them. That's why they're unsolicited. Maybe read the profiles of people that you're messaging. Don't just look at my somewhat cute face and be like, oh, I'm going to message him and I'm going to send him a picture of all of my private areas as if that's appealing. And it's even worse in the gay community with the bottoms that send pictures of, you know, their ass, but they actually send it all, you know, just too in, in depth. And it's like, that's not really an appealing part of your anatomy. Please don't. But this is what I deal with constantly on these apps. Like every time I open one of them, because I've gotten a message, you know, 90% of the time, that's what I've gotten. And they think that's appealing. And then from there, even if you do entertain it and you might get a little bit of actual conversation out of them, there's no real intention to date. There is the intention to have you come over and let's just chill and see where things go, which is code for let's come over, talk for a little while. So make a little small talk and then screw, which is super boring, super played out. But it's what, you know, they expect in my experience nowadays. Then there's just the, you know, the ones that never really want to state their intentions up front too. So obviously if you, if they start off with the dick pic, that's kind of how I interpret it. I'm like, okay, well you're intending to just be a hookup. And at this point in my life, those people get ignored. I'm not interested. That's boring to me. I have too much going on to really waste my time with that. But then you have the others who might start off with a conversation and then they give you this one line it's a red flag line to me at this point in my life. That line is, well, I just want to get to know you and see where things go. Now, when they say, you know, let's get to know you and see where things go, that may sound like a real innocent line. Kind of have to get a little bit more detail. Did this person just get out of a relationship? Have they ever been in a relationship? Um, how active are they really? I find that more often than not, when I get hit with this line, these are people that aren't really looking for anything serious. And instead of just saying, you know, I really don't want anything serious right now. I just want a friend with benefits or a cuddy buddy or whatever other turn of phrase you have for somebody you just have sex with on the regular and then go on about your business. They give you that. And unfortunately, that oftentimes misleads people. So you think, okay, well, you said, let's see where things go. Maybe eventually that leads to a relationship. But this person is really not interested in one. And it can go on and on for months if you never press the issue and make that person be blunt and direct with, okay, look, are we going to eventually head towards something serious or... Is this just a hookup thing, a casual thing, whatever? I find these people are few and far between where it even gets that far. You know, uh, from my personal experience, most um, people that kind of come across just just want the hookup. Especially when you deal with apps like Grinder and Jack or whatever, they 
while they're supposedly dating apps, everyone kind of makes them out and assumes that they are, in fact, just hookup apps. So if you are that rare unicorn on these apps and sometimes on Tinder, because I've been on there too, and several of the others, if you're this rare unicorn of a person that actually wants to find something serious, people don't really take you seriously on there. Or like you, you know, they send you a message and be like, well, you do know this is Grinder, this is Jack, that's not what this is for. Well, yeah, actually it is what it's for. We just have made a choice in mass to kind of use it more for hookups instead of actually finding someone to spend time with, get to know, so on and so forth. And then there's the other little rare creature in there that seems to be looking for something serious. But when you get to know them, their behavior should show you a little bit better. They're not looking for anything serious, really. Like, they don't understand what it means to be serious, to be in a committed relationship. They just want that title of boyfriend or girlfriend. There's a lot of those, and some of us waste time with those, I know. Personal experience, I wasted five and a half years with one of those who really just wanted the title, but not the responsibility that comes with being committed to that one person. A little hard to figure those people out. It takes you some time to weed those out. You can't weed those out, as far as I can tell, from the first message or two because they sound so sincere. They're the ones that start off with, well, hey, let's hang out. Let's get to know each other. And they might actually not want sex on the first date or first meeting because what's the date anymore? Who does the dinner and movie thing anymore or picnics in the park or whatever else? I don't know because I haven't come across any of them. I think they're, they're a dying breed at this point. So when you come across you know, these individuals, it takes a few months for you to figure out this is a person that's only seeking the title. They want to take the pictures for social media and want to be able to tell people, oh, well, this is my boyfriend. But then you know, behind your back, they're messing with two or three other people that you have to weed out and figure out and figure out what you're going to do with. Now, I'm going to go ahead and throw this in here. If you know who I am or you follow me on social media or you know me personally, you're like, well, you know, Draco, you're a romance author. You write these, you know, kind of long scale love stories. You know, you've got characters that have been in love with each other for literal thousands of years and you're kind of jaded when it comes to your real life dating situation. Here's the deal. I write romance and I write the romance that I would love to see exist in the world. Not necessarily in the fact that I need them to all be dragons, vampires, demons, so on and so forth. Although that would be cool. That's not the point of this. The actual romance that they're in, the love that they feel for each other, the way that they bond and so on and so forth, is an ideal that I have in my head of the type of love that I would like to see. So the bond between Andreas and Kazarian from The Lost Dragon. That love that kind of transcends lifetimes. That's what I would like to see. That's what I would like to believe in. That's what I would like to experience. But I have not experienced it thus far. And you can view that the same with any of the other couples I've written. You know, you can look at uh, Brandon and Phil. Obviously, they're story was a little bit more complicated, took them a whole lot longer to get to each other. That's kind of another aspect of love I would like to see. You know, two people who may not have been ready for each other when they first meet, even though they realize there's something there, 
having to grow and work on issues in order to get together. And there's a similar issue with Talus and Dion from the Coven series where Dion wasn't ready for Talus, you know, prior to where I start the story. And when he comes into the story is where he finally says, you know, I'm ready for this. This is who I want. This is who I should have been with. I have wasted time and I want to make up for that time. Those are the type of things I would love to see. That's that's a, a romance ideal that I don't really see in real life. Doesn't stop me from wishing for it. Doesn't stop me from writing about it. I'm going to continue to write about it because I love that idea. However, I'm also a realist. And I'm like, when I'm dealing with everyday life, you know, dating in real life in the real world where people are not always so spiritually connected and there seems to be a shortage of people who actually look for legitimate serious long-term things well it tends to jade you a little bit and then i've had long-term relationships and they kind of sucked so my writing and what i write about is the ideal that i would love to see achieve so on and so forth and what you're going to hear me talk about here is what I actually experience when I bother to put myself out there. Okay, so back to the topic at hand. So looking at the dating thing, the other issue that I personally find, not everybody that I know is going to find this because not everybody's in the same boat as me, I am a you know single parent. Um, I'm a foster parent, but parent is a parent to me. Throwing the foster in front of it doesn't really make me any less of a parent because... I'm really doing the job that their parents couldn't or would not do for them previously. But, you know, I take the the idea of being a parent fairly seriously. Therefore, I operate a little bit differently than today's generation does. I do not just want to keep any random man or woman around my kids that's not going to have any length or, you know, staying power around That makes me a little bit different. It makes me stand out. And then I'm not really looking for hookups. You know, even if I have that particular urge, I can't just pop up and randomly do things. I have an eight-year-old, an eight-year-old who is a fairly light sleeper. And people tend to misunderstand when I say, you know, I'm not really free to do anything right now. Sometimes they interpret that as I'm not interested, and sometimes they're right. Most times, that's just my way of saying, dude, I can't pop up and do anything for the moment, even if they do ask me to meet them for a drink or something, which is rare, but it happens. I'm not really free to just randomly do so. I cannot just pop up at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday night and meet you at a bar or meet you at Applebee's or wherever else, or even come sit and hang out at your house because I have an eight-year-old that I'm getting ready for bed at nine o'clock. And I have a 13-year-old in residential who comes for home visits on the weekend sometimes. He'll be here next weekend. When I have them, I'm full-time dad. You know, there's no break in that for me. And I don't often have Babysitters, and while I do have some people who are willing to babysit, I can't exactly call them at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday night and be like, hey, can you come watch your nephew for a minute so that I can go meet up with this person? No, that's not really responsible. It's not realistic. It, it just doesn't happen. And, you know, sometimes I get a person that, you know, kind of keeps after me, which is fine. 
But a lot of them don't understand, you know, I really can't just pop up whenever you say to do something. You have to kind of plan it in advance, whatever it is, you know, because it's not involving my kid because I don't know you. You would have to be around for a good six months or so before I really want to introduce you to the kids if I think it's serious enough at that point. So to me, that's kind of an impediment to any form of dating, meeting people, whatever, because most people that I come across are not on the same wavelength as me. I have a family here and I intend to keep this family going. You know, this is, it's not a sometime thing. It's not something that I can just turn off. I am a full-time parent. And, you know, some people get really upset or just refuse to understand. You can't call me, text me, message me, whatever, at 9 o'clock at night and expect me to just pop up and do stuff or, you know, for the hookup ones. And they will message me at 12 o'clock at night. And even if it's a Friday night, guess what? It's 12 o'clock on a Friday night. I'm sitting here looking at my eight-year-old and wondering why he's still awake. I don't have the free time to come do anything with you. Now, on the event that I have free time, you know, someone has come to spend time with him and they're, you know, watching him for a while. Okay, that's fine. But, you know, I have a limited amount of time. I'm probably going to have a cutoff, you know, that I need to come get my kid. If you can't really understand that, dating doesn't really work at all. For me, but that's because I keep my kids as the priority above what I'm doing because I'm okay being solo. I've been solo for, you know, five years now, next month, it'll be five years and I'm okay with that. I'm not really pressed to find anybody. So I'm able to keep that priority straight of my kids need me more than this random person over here needs to spend time with me in their words. Okay, now I'm going to focus a little bit more on what affects me a little bit more directly being single, and that's me being a parent. Now, we've already kind of touched on how that affects my dating life, but a lot of people kind of wonder, you know, why I chose to foster or, you know, how I managed to keep going. Here's the thing. I have not really had the option to have kids biologically that I know of, you know, in quite some time. You know, I haven't been with a woman. I was in a relationship with a man for five and a half years. You know, since then, I've been approached more by men than by women. So having kids myself has been technically kind of impossible. And I knew that I had a goal in my 20s. I wanted to have a family started by the time I was 30. And when I was in my last relationship towards the end, we started the process for adoption and fostering together originally, but we didn't work out. And needless to say, kind of glad we didn't. Um, We would not, we weren't a strong couple anyway, and I would never want to subject my children to all of the drama that went on in their relationship. But I continued on anyway because I was approaching 30. Um, I'm 32 now, but I still wanted to meet that goal. And I looked at it this way. A family doesn't always have to consist of two parents. Mine didn't growing up. My mother was single. And even, you know, when she was in a relationship or when she was married, 
she kind of did everything on her own. So there was one real parent in the household. And to me, it's better to have that one parent that's willing to be a parent and do everything, you know, be there for you, raise you up into adulthood than to have none at all. And I have the finances, I have the space, I had the stability to take in children. So I originally started out with adoption, strict adoption, because Missouri is weird. Unlike every other state, they wanted us to choose. You're either going solely to adopt kids or you're going to foster them. And then eventually, if they come up for adoption, still get asked if you want to adopt them anyway, whatever. So... I got my first kid after about a year and a half, you know, in, you know, I had gotten licensed after taking all the classes and trainings. I, you know, I got my first kid and it was interesting because I have a child who is 13 years old, who's been in care since he was about four, four and a half, has been in multiple homes and just wanted a family and for the record i still have him in a sense in that i'm still dad we're two years in and you know he's in residential right now because he has some kind of extreme behaviors and especially being single some of those are kind of hard to deal with especially when you're not prepared especially when you didn't know these behaviors were coming and especially when you do have to work to support this child because contrary to popular belief that little check that we get each month for the kids that we foster and adopt barely covers the groceries they eat and in my younger child's case does not even cover half the groceries he eats so it really doesn't affect much anybody that would possibly do this for money you must have very low standards um but being the single parent and I know I chose this, you know, unlike some other single parents, you know, the natural single parents where you intended to be with this person and then things didn't work out. I, unlike them, made a choice to be a single parent and I'm okay with that solution. However, there do come up some challenges in that I don't have a whole lot of private time and that when anything goes wrong, it's on me. So, you know, when they are sick it's on me to stay home with them when they get suspended from school which is an increasing problem for my children it's up to me to either find somewhere for them to go or call off work and stay home with them which is not the most pleasant experience for either of us that are involved um you know all the doctor's appointments and all that are on me and the only moments of peace that i tend to get generally are when they go to sleep um and when they go to sleep i have to go to sleep because more than likely when they're asleep especially during the week they have school i have work i have to be up at 5 5 30 in the morning so i might stay up for an additional 30 minutes to an hour but i have to sleep too it's not a whole lot of peace or separation in there so it gets a little complicated and yes i do have a bit of a support system i have people that can watch them but we all work we're all adults i don't have i don't have anyone that's retired or rich and just doesn't have to work or anything like that so you know i have to operate around other people's schedules and both of my children have some higher needs now if we want to tie that back into the dating stuff this is also why i can't do things spur of the moment because 
sometimes it's a little difficult to find someone that can tolerate my children's behaviors, even with a little bit of notice. You know, if I need to go out on, say, a Friday night, but half of my friends are at work and, you know, the daytime is, you know, 6 or 6.30, you know, my friends don't get off until 7, 7.30 in some cases or 8 o'clock or later, it's not really leaving much available. And again, it's often not really understood that, you know, I, I can't just always rearrange my schedule. Makes things a little difficult, honestly, but it is what it is at this point. And then when you add into that me being single, me having children, and one of my ch- my older child has autism, my younger child is eight years old, there's also a matter of privacy getting them to, you know, not be all up in my business, which is virtually impossible. And, you know, sometimes I have to use my phone as a distraction. So we have to set rules about don't go through any app you I didn't tell you to go through, so on and so forth. But also makes things complicated because, like, my older one will try to answer messages for me. Therefore, I kind of have to make him ignore any and all notifications because if he answers, if he sees a message, he'll answer it as literally as he can. And there are some things that you just don't want to have to discuss with your 13-year-old autistic child about what this person meant when they sent this message. And it was probably a fairly dirty message. And he probably caught the gist of it, but wants to make sure that he was right. We've had these moments. Don't like having them. Normally, that's why they stay out of my phone. But if I'm somewhere and I'm like, okay, here, here's a phone to watch YouTube, I have to throw that addendum on there. Also means... They're kids. If they're watching YouTube, I'm not answering the phone because I didn't know the phone rang. The only way I know it rang is if I have my smartwatch on me and I felt it vibrate there. Then I know that they just ignored your call. But if I handed them my phone, I probably wanted them to be silent for a while. So it, it, it just adds a further kink into the whole trying to date, trying to get to know someone. And then... You know, when I do find, you know, someone that's moderately interested, I have to constantly remind them, again, dude, have kids. You know, I don't really want to do the whole you come hang out over here thing because I don't know you yet. Gets a little, sometimes the responses get a a little amusing because they'll just be like, oh, well, we can just sit in your room. I have an eight-year-old and an autistic 13-year-old. If you think that I'm going to go in my room with you and shut the door and leave them to their own devices, you're nuts. I may not have a home to to come out to when I come out of the door. That that doesn't work. My children require constant supervision, honestly, if we want them to behave and not break things, steal things, or buy things on the internet that they don't have money to buy. All of which I've dealt with. Okay, so we had a little bit of a discussion here on, on, you know, the single life and my experience with it. Didn't want to go too long, but I want to wrap up the show and answer, you know, some questions that I had gotten sent after the first one. Um, Just to make sure I tie in some other stuff and some of these questions are writing related and I do love to talk about my writing. So I did have a question of what is something that I really struggle with 
as I publish each book? The answer to that, that people probably wouldn't expect, would still be finding black models in, you know, stock image sites that are able to fit in with my themes of my books. So, A, it's very hard to find two black males on, you know, cover models that kind of would tie together in a gay romance, but more importantly, hard to find some that have a fantasy element to them that look in some way magical and aren't just kind of a generic model in everyday clothes or the thuggish look to them. That one's a bit of a struggle with me every time I go looking for cover images. That's why, you know, only a couple of my book covers have people on them. They often have other images because it's very hard to find a model that fits what I'm trying to do in the book. Another question, kind of a popular one. Who is my favorite author? Answer to that, undisputedly, is Anne Rice. Um, I discovered Anne Rice's books of course, when uh, right after Aaliyah died, when you know the movie Queen of the Dam released, um, I was interested because it was based on a book. So uh, my English teacher at the time um, had the books, and I, since I read on such a higher level than most other children my age, and I was in seventh, I just come into eighth grade at the time. Um, so she gave me those books out of her personal library. So. And I read a little bit out of order because, of course, I read Queen of the Dan first, but that wasn't the right order. So I went back, read the Vampire Lestat, eventually I read Interview of the Empire, then I read the rest in their correct order and eventually started over from the beginning just to have a full read-through. But Anne Rice was my favorite author. I loved her interpretation of vampires. I especially loved the uh, Memnock the Devil book that she wrote um, because it was such a different take on what God could be, and that resonated with me a little bit more than anything else I was reading. But I just loved her vampires. I loved Akasha. I I loved her even more in the books, although I think Aaliyah played her very well in the movie. I loved her better in the books um, because she had more depth to her. It wasn't just she thought humans were animals. It was actually a, a bit of a misguided feminism thing where she actually thought that men were the cause of the world's problems, which kind of a valid point but her solution was to murder all of them and keep just enough around to help the females repopulate so from that point on i just loved Anne rice and then you know i follow her on social media and she gives such good advice to us potential authors you know reminding us write what we feel write what we would like to read don't write just to cater to one specific audience because you kind of trap yourself with that one audience. And I know it's a little weird to say, considering I write, you know, the gay romance books, but it's technically just a category I had to give them, but I do have a lot of hetero people that read them. So I just loved Anne Rice. She was my favorite. Another favorite for me was, uh, Sherilyn Kenyon. The, uh, she writes the dark hunters and I forget when I discovered her, but it, it was definitely as an adult. And I read quite a bit of those. I just loved it. And I love anything that plays with Greek mythology anyway. Her interpretation is way different than mine. Um, but I loved her books. I loved uh, Christine Fihan because, again, I love vampires. And J.R. Ward, same reason. Fell off with her a little bit when she did her the book on uh, Quinn. 
I think was the gay vampire. I think the way she did it, it was too short. I, I hated the way she put them together. I hated some of the things she did it um, as far as how they interacted and kind of fell off a little bit after that. But she's still legitimately one of my favorite authors. So those are definite favorites, definite big inspirations for me. Okay, I think that's enough questions to kind of close out the show here today. So next week, next show, I'm going to switch topics a little bit again, kind of delve a little bit into writing as recently a uh, friend, a sister of mine actually published her first book and it kind of brought to light some issues that I face as an author. So next show, I'm going to discuss support systems. My support system as an author might delve a little bit into my personal support system in everyday life, but kind of want to focus on some of the issues I have noticed when publishing my work and getting support from people that I know that, you know, claim to really love and care about me and just the frustrations that I've sometimes experienced with my so-called support system and that I find other authors also may struggle a little bit with too, but I'm going to speak from my personal experience. So that'll be our next episode, episode three, all about support systems. Make sure you tune in. If you have any questions you want to submit for me to go over in the next episode, make sure to send those to me on social media. You can use my Facebook, my Twitter, Instagram, or use the contact form on my website, which is dracosden.com. I also, feel free to leave me voice messages here on Anchor. I can use those voice messages for your questions here on the show. So you'll get a little shout out if you like. Or just leave me a voice message giving me some feedback on this episode or the last episode. Or maybe give me some ideas that you want to hear me talk about in the future. So this is Draco. I'm going to go ahead and sign off for today. Catch you next show.